Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the next episode of the Guardian Mindset Podcast. Got to tell you, as we start doing this podcast over and over again, uh, coming up with topics is uh, sometimes an interesting aspect for me. Jake and I sit here and talk about, well, what are we going to talk about next? And this week, we just finished up week four of our internal affairs training program. And in week four of our internal affairs training program, we talk a lot about technology and technology application. I realize that I haven't done very many discussions about technology and the implication of technology into our everyday world, especially in law enforcement applications. So I'm going to do a couple of seminars, a couple of little uh, sections here on pod, uh, on our podcast regarding technology, because I think it's important. You know, we talk so much about use of force and search and seizure and First Amendment, a little bit something new, but let's talk about technology. Now, listen, the problem with technology is very clear, that uh, the Supreme Court has only heard four cases dealing with technology since 2009, the last case being in 2018. In the case that we're going to talk about today called the Carpenter, Carpenter versus United States, the Supreme Court case from 2018. And there has not been any other Supreme Court interpretation on technology since that point. Now, if you go back in the history and the, you know, what we call the jurisprudence of technology, it starts with a, a Supreme Court case in 2009 called the Quan decision. In the Quan decision, this is where the Supreme Court evaluated whether or not there was an expectation of privacy in equipment that was issued by your department to you. Now, a little bit of spoiler alert, I know it's 2022, but the spoiler alert is that the Supreme Court in 2009 ruled that you do not have an expectation of privacy in any uh, piece of technology or equipment issued to you by your department. So uh, stop using it for bad things, please. Uh, use it for what you're supposed to use it for. Now, that was the first of four cases in a row. The second case was called the Jones case, which we'll talk about in later segments. The Jones case was GPS location from 2012 out of the District of Columbia, and whether or not using a GPS tracker on a vehicle was uh, a trespass onto the parties, onto the vehicle. And so, you know, stand by for that one. We'll come back. Then there was in 2015, we had the Riley and the Worry case, which are the cell phone case, and the interpretations of searching cell phones since that. And so we're definitely going to touch on that in the future, but I'm going to start at the last one. And the last one, because unfortunately, as always, the last one is the best one, right? So in 2018, the Supreme Court ruled on a decision called Carpenter. And the purpose of this, this decision was, was to evaluate the use of geolocation data on cell phones. So as you know, um, your cell phone, as you go around your world, and a lot of you listening to this probably already use this in criminal application, but... As you go around, the, uh, go around and you work on your day, you carry a cell phone. And as you know, the cell phone connects to towers throughout, uh, throughout the area where you're at and the, because the cell phone wants to get a signal, right? So you want to be able to receive that telephone call or you want to receive that text messages. In order to receive that telephone call or that text message, that the, the cell tower has to be able to locate you and send that message to your phone. Now, the issue here is that starting in, you know, 2016, 17, we started to use geolocation data as a way to involve in criminal application. 
meaning that we could do cell phone dumps as to which cell phone towers the cell phone was connected to and when and based on the date and time and that we could use that in the purposes of evaluating criminal application. And uh, the real issue in this case was whether or not the government's acquisition of cell site records was a search under the Fourth Amendment. And the key is the court came back and said it is a search and that at this point they were using ex parte orders uh, or a magistrate order um, under Section 2703 of the Stored Communication Act to get these records. And the Supreme Court came back and said, no, listen, you can use ex parte orders for subscriber information and you might even be able to use ex parte orders for uh, for data dumps as to records related to a cell phone. But when it comes to geolocation data, geolocation data needs a search warrant. And, and the issue as this case came through was specific to the fact that the argument was that the, the government was watching, right? The big brother was watching, that they were tracking cell phone user. And the, and the greatest part about this for law enforcement is that we sit back and say, well, wait a minute. Now, we're not, we're not, it's not the government that is tracking your cell phone. You want to have the convenience of your cell phone. And therefore, rec- there is a record or what we call a communication as to what cell phone tower this this cell phone is connecting to now the interesting part is and what really led me to some of the the podcasts that we're going to we're dealing with today was that in dealing with technology investigations in the internal affairs training we're talking about the fact that the supreme court has started to make some clarity you know one of the issues that we have really talked about over the fourth amendment is is in the world we live in today what is an expectation of privacy? I mean, I mean, when you have Alexa, you know, an open CIA microphone in your house, or you have your cell phone and you have it set so that you can say to your cell phone, Siri, I want you to call grandma. Well, you know, the one thing that people have to understand as this systems, as this technology continues to enhance is what is the effect of technology on the Fourth Amendment, and more importantly, what is more importantly, what is the effect on technology in the world of expectation of privacy? Now, I think that this court case in the Carpenter decision does exactly what I expected it to do, in which it said that in the world we live in, uh, their expectation of privacy, I believe, is diminished based on our laziness, lack of a better term. Maybe we're not all lazy, but the fact that that that, that you want uh, what the Supreme Court calls as convenience, and that is you want to be able to, you know, tell your phone what to do or tell your house what to do, then what happens to the expectation of privacy when it correlates with convenience? So in the 2018 Supreme Court case, Carpenter versus United States, the Supreme Court held that when the government obtains access to historical cell phone records, that provide a chronicle of the user's past movements, it constitutes a search under the Fourth Amendment. As such, the government must generally obtain a warrant supported by probable cause before acquiring such records. So let's talk about the facts of this case. Uh, in 2011, police officers arrested four men suspected of robbing a series of Radio Shack and T-Mobile stores in the Detroit area. 
One of the men confessed that over the previous four months, the group, along with a rotating cast of getaway drivers and lookouts, had robbed nine different stores in the Michigan and Ohio area. The suspects identified 15 accomplices who had participated in the heist and gave the FBI some of their cell phone numbers. The FBI then reviewed his call record to identify additional numbers that he had called around the time of the robbery. Now, Jake already knows where I'm going with this because he sat on the board many times during the aspect of me doing IA classes, but I'm going to talk about my favorite show. And in the world of technology, um, all of you young ones that are listening to this podcast, I got a question for you. Have you ever watched the series The Wire, right? The Wire. Yes, The Wire. And if you have not watched the series of The Wire, I strongly encourage you to watch the, the you're going to have to binge a lot. I think there's seven seasons of The Wire. So I think you're going to have to really binge it. But the one thing about The Wire is this is Baltimore City. This is where, where pagers and, and public telephones start to become part of the narcotics industry in the well, five, five seasons, Jake. You know, this is why you need, everyone needs to have a millennial, right? Because I said seven, and Jake, Jake got right on, you know, on Google and came up with five. So it's five seasons for the series The Wire. But the reason why I always tell my investigators that watching The Wire is going to be beneficial is because we talk about the, the, the detail that's associated with doing technology investigations. And so let's start with the fact that you are doing a technology investigation. You get a cell phone number. Well, what's the first thing that you want? Well, you want subscriber information, right? Who uses that cell phone? And we know that the expectation of privacy on subscriber information is pretty low. That's why in most states and even federal, you can get an ex parte order from the court to get that subscriber information. So that's pretty low. Now, once you get that subscriber information, you know that the subject that you're looking at is the individual actually is the one you're looking at. Now you want to go to phone records, right? You want to get the, because again, in the wire, you want to be very methodical. You got subscriber information. Now we're going to go to phone records as they even did in this case, Carpenter. So we're going to do ex parte orders for phone records. And, and now, well, what do you get from those phone records? Well, you get, well, you get who that phone called, exactly what they had done here in the Carpenter case. And the benefit of that is that now you start to, you know, I, I use the old adage if you ever, when you watch The Wire, because now I told you to watch it, you have to watch it, right? Uh, when you watch The Wire and binge that whole season, unless... You know, maybe during COVID, you actually got to the end of Netflix and there's nothing left. You may have already put that in there. But if you if you watch The Wire, you'll see they used like yarn to connect cell phone numbers to locations. And and that's old school, really old school, uh, you know, no technology, no frills, law enforcement investigation. So now you got the subscriber information and you got the records. Well, what's next? Well, next, we live into the world of geolocation data, right? Where was that cell phone at certain dates in certain times? So as we know here, the FBI in the Carpenter case had gotten uh, cell records or call records identifying additional numbers that he had called uh, around the time of the robbery. Based on, on that information, the prosecutors obtained court orders issued by a magistrate judge under Section 2703 subsection D of the Stored Communication Act 
for cell phone records of the petitioner, Tim Carpenter, and several other suspects. The Stored Communications Act requires reasonable ground to believe that the records sought are relevant to an ongoing investigation, which is lower than probable cause standard under the Fourth Amendment. Now, the application of this is that they had used what we would consider in the state application as an ex parte order, a one-sided order. So they did this one-sided order, and as a direct result, they got geolocation data on Mr. Carpenter. So the government obtained 12,898 location points cataloging Carpenter's movements. He averaged about 101 data points per day, and the records reveal that Carpenter used his cell phone within a half a mile to two miles of several robbery locations during the, the time the robberies occurred. Carpenter, as a result of this, was charged with six counts of robbery and an additional six counts of carrying a firearm during a federal crime of violence. Carpenter filed a motion to suppress the records, arguing that the government violated the Fourth Amendment by not obtaining a search warrant based on probable cause to obtain this information. The district court denied the motion, and Carpenter was convicted. Carpenter appealed the district court's judgment to the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. The Court of Appeals affirmed the district court's decision. In doing so, it stated that the Supreme Court has long recognized a distinction between the content of a communication and the information necessary to convey it. Now, pay attention. That is the most important part going forward in the world of technology and the Fourth Amendment, that the Supreme Court has long recognized a distinction between the content of a communication and the information necessary to convey it. Content is protected under the Fourth Amendment, but routing information is not. Consequently, the court held that the government's collection of cell site records created and maintained by the defendant's wireless carriers was not a search under the Fourth Amendment. Carpenter appealed to the Supreme Court. In the appeal to the Supreme Court, the government argued that individuals such as the petitioner Carpenter do not have a legitimate expectation of privacy in the business records that third-party service providers provide or maintain of locations of cell towers used to route calls to and from cell phones. Carpenter, on the other hand, argued that the government should be required to obtain probable cause warrants instead of ex parte orders issued under the Store Communications Act to access historical cell site location information from service providers because these records deserved heightened protection under the Fourth Amendment. The issue before the court in this Supreme Court in this analysis is whether the government conducts a search under the Fourth Amendment when it accesses historical cell phone records that provide a comprehensive chronicle of the user's past movements. So before we get into the Supreme Court's ruling here, let's focus. The Supreme Court is identifying the difference between communication, that is the records, uh, the wireless carrier records uh, that uh, provide or maintain the location of cell towers used to route calls to and from cell phones and content. Content would be photos, videos, messages. And what the Supreme Court has said on the history is that content has a higher level of Fourth Amendment protection, but communication 
what cell phone towers, what records the cell phone company keeps has a lower area of uh, expectation of privacy. So let's look at what the Supreme Court did with this case. A divided Supreme Court in a 5-4 ruling rejected the government's argument and reversed the Court of Appeals. The reasons are set forth as this. Number one, first, the case involves the government's acquisition of wireless carrier cell site records, revealing the location of Carpenter's cell phone whenever it made or received calls. This sort of digital data, personal location information maintained by a third party, does not fit neatly under the the existing precedents. Instead, requests for cell site records lie at the intersection of two lines of cases, both of which inform our understanding of the privacy interests at stake. The first set of cases address a person's expectation of privacy in his physical location and movement. All right, so let's talk about that. Let's look at what the court has said as a person's expectation of privacy. We're getting right into the we're getting right into the wire right now, that's for sure. So the court had previously held and considered the government's use of a beeper. Remember that some of you may not know exactly what a beeper is, but that was a fancy little dark thing we used to carry on our belt that would go beep, 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 and it would give me a number, and I would then go to a phone and call somebody from that number. Um, the key is, so the court had previously considered the government's use of a beeper to aid in tracking a vehicle uh, through traffic in the case United States versus Knots in 1983, where the police planted a beeper in a container before it was purchased by one of the defendant's co-conspirators. The officers were able to follow the signal from the beeper from Minneapolis to the defendant's cabin in Wisconsin. In the Knotts case, the court concluded that the augmented visual surveillance did not constitute a search because a person traveling in an automobile on public thoroughfares has no reasonable expectation of privacy in his movements from one place to another. The Knotts course, however, was careful to distinguish between the rudimentary tracking facilitated by the beeping and the more sweeping modes of surveillance. The court specifically stated, different constitutional principles may be applicable if 24-hour surveillance of of any citizen in this country were possible. Three decades later, the third technology case in the line was where the court addressed more sophisticated surveillance under the Supreme Court case United States versus Jones in 2012, which involved the installation of a GPS tracking device on Jones's vehicle and remote monitoring of the vehicle's movement for 28 days. In the Jones case, the concurring justices concluded that since the GPS monitoring of a vehicle's tracks every movement a person makes in that vehicle, the long-term GPS monitoring in investigations of most offenses impinges on the expectation of privacy, regardless whether those movements were disclosed to the public at large. In a second set of decisions, the court has drawn a line between what a person keeps to himself and what he shares with others. The court stated that it had previously held that a person has no legitimate expectation of privacy and information he voluntarily turns over to the third party. This remains true even if the information is revealed 
on the assumption that it will be used for a limited purpose. As a result, the government is typically free to obtain such information from the recipient without triggering Fourth Amendment protection. What this is called is called the Third Party Doctrine. And the Third Party Doctrine stems from its decision in the Supreme Court case United States versus Miller, wherein the government was investigating Miller for tax evasion and subpoenaed his bank, seeking several months of canceled checks, deposit slips, and monthly statements. In Miller, the court rejected a Fourth Amendment challenge to the records collection because, one, Miller could assert neither ownership nor possession of the documents, as they were business records of the bank. And two, that the nature of these records confirmed Miller's limit expectation of privacy. Because the checks were not confidential communications, but negotiable instruments to be used in commercial transactions, the bank statements contained information exposed to bank employees in an ordinary course of business. So hence you get the conclusion that they did in this case, whereas that the, the sharing of information, as the court said, person has no legitimate expectation of privacy in information he voluntarily turns over to the third parties. In 1979, the Supreme Court, in a case Smith versus Maryland, the court applied these same principles in the context of information conveyed to a telephone company. In Smith, the court held that the government's use of a pen register, that is a device that records the outgoing phone numbers that dialed on a landline telephone was not a search. The court noted that the pen register had limited capabilities and doubted that people in general entertain any actual expectation of privacy in the numbers they dial. The court further noted that subscribers were aware that telephone companies utilize this information for a variety of legitimate purpose, uh, legitimate business purposes, including routing calls. Further, when Smith placed a call, the Supreme Court said he voluntarily conveyed the dialed number to the telephone company by exposing that information to its equipment in an ordinary course of business. In Smith, the court found that the defendants assumed the risk that the company records would be divulged to the police. So, in the present case, the court stated that the question now confronted is how to apply the Fourth Amendment in a new phenomenon the ability to chronicle a person's past movements through the record of his cell phone signals. Much like GPS tracking of a vehicle, cell phone location information is detailed, encyclopedic, and effortlessly compiled. The court noted that the fact that the individual continuously reveals his location to his wireless carrier implicated the third-party principles set forth in Smith and Miller but stated that while the third-party doctrine applies to telephone numbers and to bank records, it is not clear whether its, logical, whether its logic extends to the, to the qualitative different category of cell phone records. When Smith was decided in 1979, few could have imagined a society in which a phone goes wherever the owner goes, conveying to the wireless carrier not just dial digits, but a detailed and comprehensive record of the person's movements. The Supreme Court declined to extend Smith and Miller in the present Carpenter case, stating, given the unique nature of cell phone location records, 
The fact that the information is held by a third party does not by itself overcome the user's claim of Fourth Amendment protection. Whether the government employs its own surveillance technology or leverages the technology of a wireless carrier, we hold that an individual maintains a legitimate expectation of privacy in the record of his physical movements as captured through CSLI. The location information obtained from Carpenter's wireless carrier was the product of a search. The court further reasoned that an individual does not surrender all Fourth Amendment protection by venturing into the public sphere. A majority of the Supreme Court has previously held that individuals have a reasonable expectation of privacy in the whole of their physical movements. The court found that although self-site records are generated for commercial purposes, the distinction does not negate Carpenter's anticipation of privacy in his physical location. Mapping a cell phone's location over the course of 127 days provides an all-encompassing record of the holder's whereabouts. As with GPS information, the timestamp data provides an intimate window into a person's life, revealing not only his particular movements, but through them his familia, political, professional, religious, and sexual associations. These location records hold for many Americans as the privacies of life. The Supreme Court distinguished the government's tracking of an individual utilizing cell records from utilization of GPS records, as discussed in Knotts and Jones, by stating that a, a cell phone, almost a feature of human anatomy, tracks nearly exactly the movements of, movements of its owner while individuals regularly leave their vehicles, they compulsively carry cell phones with them at all times. Accordingly, when the government tracks the location of a cell phone, it achieves near-perfect surveillance, as if it had attached an ankle monitor to the phone's user. The third-party doctrine partly stems from the notion that an individual has a reduced expectation of, of privacy and information knowingly shared with another. Cell phone location information, however, is not truly shared as one normally understands the term. In the first place, cell phones and the services they provide are such a pervasive and insistent part of daily life that carrying one is indispensable to participation in modern society. How true is that? A cell phone logs a cell site record by dint of its operation without any affirmative act on the part of the user beyond powering up. Virtually any activity on the phone generates CSLI, including incoming calls, texts, or emails, and countless other data connections that a phone automatically makes when checking for news, weather, or social media updates. Apart from disconnecting the phone from the network, there is no way to avoid leaving behind a trail of location data. As a result, in no meaningful sense does the user voluntarily assume the risk of turning over a comprehensive dossier of his physical movements. The Supreme Court ended by holding this. Given the unique nature of cell phone location information, the fact that the government obtained the information 
from a third party does not overcome Carpenter's claim for Fourth Amendment protection. The government's acquisition of cell site records was a search within the meaning of the Fourth Amendment. Accordingly, the government must obtain a search warrant supported by probable cause before acquiring such records. So as you can see, I find this truly, truly interesting in the world of technology, in the world of what is an expectation of privacy in the world that we live in today. And I, I think we're far from we're far from you know this going away. We were just talking about here in the office, you know, drones and and how Snapchat just released a drone that follows you around taking pictures. And how Jake, you know, because he's a he's a huge golf nut for those of you that didn't understand that. So, you know, Jake was showing me how he just put a drone up so he can see his hole in one at the uh, at the at the golf course. And uh, unfortunately, he put the drone in the area and he didn't get a hole in one. But he's still working on that. Don't worry, I have hope, and you should too, that he will someday get his hole in one. So, cell phones in the future is definitely a topic that we will talk about many, many, many more times here on the Guardian Mindset Podcast. So with that, I leave you. Help those who need your help. Protect those who need your protection. And most importantly, please keep yourself and others safe. Thank you.